0: We are on Ksubis Tezavov Amabes 15b as we are beginning the second parak, the second chapter of Ksubis. In the article, we're on 15b5, beginning the new Mishnah. This parak is action packed with many important foundational ideas. A lot about testimony and when we accept certain testimony, when uh, you're allowed to go back on your testimony. Um, a lot of a lot of interesting cases. The opening Mishnah continues the discussion that we've been having for basically the second half of the first uh, chapter. So it is in the beginning a bit of a continuation. Uh, until now, we have been discussing uh, arguments, disputes between a husband and the wife as to whether or not she was really. A virgin at the time of the beginning of uh, their marriage. Uh, she, they both come in assuming that she is, um, and then something happens. Something takes place where there's um, some reason to assume that she wasn't. Uh, what are the ramifications? Who cares? The, the the implications have to do with the ramifications have to do with whether uh, she receives her k'suba. How much does she receive for her k'suba? The ksuba is the amount that she gets at when the marriage ends, whether that's through divorce or through the death of the husband. Um, And so, there's an argument as to the various arguments as to whether or not the assumptions were correct. That's what we've been discussing until now, and uh, we had many cases where there was an argument between Rabbi Gamaliel and Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Gamaliel says that uh, we believe her uh, for various reasons, uh, combined reasons because. She knows whether or not she's a virgin. Number one, she's Bari, what's referred to as Bari, and he is a Shema. The husband is just questioning, he doesn't know with certainty. Uh, additionally, she has a Chazaka, Cheskas that we assume that she was a virgin until the last possible moment, the concept of Chazaka, of status quo. Uh, he has a status quo of, of Mamoness, Cheskas Mamon, uh, where we leave the money where it is, unless we know otherwise. So there, there is a, a, a counter-argument to believe him, which is the position of Rabbi Yeshua. In these cases that we believe him, Rabbi Gamaliel says that we believe her. That's all with regards to cases that we've had until now. Now comes the Mishnah, discusses uh, a similar case, but it's a new case, where uh, there's no there's no question uh, about a change in her status. That's not, That's not what we're discussing. We're not discussing a change in her status. We're discussing where it's many years later now. Um, they've been married for many years. Uh, she now either got divorced or she's a widow. And there's a question as at to, with regards to at the beginning of the marriage, was she a basula or was she a baula? Was she a virgin or was she not a virgin? What, what happened at the very beginning of the marriage? Well, um, and that would have significant ramifications with regards to how much she should receive for her ksuba. So it's not a question of whether... Uh, something happened in the sense of there was a certain assumption that she was a virgin and then um, there's reason to assume or there's some reason to assume otherwise. No, that's not that's not what's going on here. What's happening here is that many years later, after the marriage ends, they're sort of looking back and this, there's a discussion as to what was her status originally. Um, and this would have ramifications for the Xuba. If she was a basula, if she was a virgin, she would receive 200. And if she's a Bulah, if she wasn't a virgin, so then if she was in a previous relationship, so then she would receive one hundred. Uh so let's see the Mishnah inside. Haisha is Armalosh Garsha. If she was widowed or divorced, Hiomeris Basula Nisasani. She says that at the original time I was a Basula, I was a virgin. <speaking in Hebrew> and he says that no. You were oh, you were already um, in a previous, uh, you're a widow. You're already in a previous marriage beforehand. And so therefore, you should only receive 100. Now, when it says, he says, that could obviously only be referring to a case where they got divorced. If he passed away, it must be coming from uh, his kids, uh, people who who inherited from his estate. Uh, it can't be from him, obviously. Uh, but there's an argument between the two of them. So the, the, the Mishnah says as follows. Essentially, the Mishnah says that we believe Him. We believe Him even though there was a whole dispute in the last chapter whether or not we believe Him or whether or not we believe her. Rabbi Gamliel says we believe her, as we're going to see in the Gemara momentarily. In this case, in the Mishnah, Rabbi Gamliel will agree that we believe Him, that we believe Him. Everybody in this case agrees that we believe him. The only time that we don't believe him is that if we have testimony, if there's actual testimony with regards to what was happening at the wedding itself, do we see, there's different signs to show that she was a besula, that this is her first marriage, whether that's the fact that um, she uh, goes out with uh, a hinuma, a hinuma, We'll see exactly what that is a little bit later, but it means also when her hair is showing. Um, if it was a second marriage, her hair wouldn't be showing, uh, which leads to a whole separate conversation which we don't have time to get into right now. About uh, when is there an obligation for a married woman to cover her hair? Does that exist on that that first night, meaning the first uh, at the wedding itself before they've engaged in sexual relations? Um, when when does that obligation begin? But if there's testimony that her hair was revealed, that people saw her hair, or maybe that they were distributing um, parched grain, which was viewed as like snacks, uh, sweet snacks, that they give out to the kids. So then that's a sign. These are all signs that this was her first marriage. So if we have various signs, so then that is good enough to say that she is uh, she was a virgin at the time. But without that, without these, uh, without this testimony, so then we assume that he is Believed, which is against the position of Rabbi Amiel, at least uh, in the in the other cases that we've had until now, in the first chapter, in the first parak. So that is all case number one of the Mishnah. Case number two of the Mishnah is a totally separate case, but in this case, Rabbi Yoshua is agreeing, and whether Rabbi Yoshua Rabbi agrees in the following case, meaning up until now, Rabbi Yoshua has been saying wherever the money is. Leave it where it is unless we have good proof. So leave it with him, leave it with the husband. The husband has no obligation to uh, give more towards the Ksuba until we have better proof. We need to have better proof. Her claim alone wouldn't win. But, mode Rabishu in the following claim. If a person says, If a person says, A person's on a field. Nobody is questioning the field, let's say. And a person just says, you should know that this was your father's field and I bought it from him. He's believed. Why? So explains the Mishnah, turning to Tezayin and Aleph, Pesha Asr Pesha Hitter. Because this is a phrase called Pesha Asr Pesha Hitter, uh, which is a famous uh, Talmudic phrase that the mouth which forbade it is also the mouth that has permitted it. Meaning as follows, if he kept quiet, if he did not say a thing, So then, he would be able to stay on the field. It's he; he was on the field, not his friend. He comes along and he causes trouble for himself. And he says, "You should know." He tells his friend, "Your father owned this land," and it's the only evidence that we have is is from him, his his own testimony. He says, "You should know. I bought it from your father." So the same person that said that this belonged to your father is also the person that says that it belonged that, but I bought it from him. And so, based on his own testimony. So we have to take it in full. If we're going to believe part of it, we have to believe the whole thing and uh, say that he actually bought it from him. So in that case, Rabbi Shuh will agree. Even though in general he says that we need to have a higher level of proof in order to extract uh, money or possessions from one person to another. But in this case where the person says that this was your father's field, Rabbi Shuh is not going to say, oh, stop there. We're going to stop there, and now he has to bring proof if he ever actually if he actually bought it. No, we're going to say pesha <laughs> pesha that he's the one that's making the claim that this was your father's field. I bought it from him, so we'll believe him to say I bought it from him, and we'll leave the field we'll, basically by, by that person who says that I bought it from him. However, ends the Mishnah. <laughs> if he says, however, if there are witnesses, sorry. If there are witnesses that, that prove to us that it belongs uh, to the friend's father's field, that it was really his father's, and and uh, the person just says, I bought it from your father, so then he's certainly not believed. Because now we have witnesses that say that it belongs to the friend's father. It's not purely based off of his own testimony. We have other evidence that it belongs to the father, so then his testimony alone isn't good enough. He has to bring a better proof. To, he has to prove that he actually bought it. So in this case, Rabbi Yeshua agrees. Now, why is this case brought down? This seems to be coming out of left field. Uh, we've been discussing until now all these different cases about a marriage and how much she should get for her ksuba. Um, this seems to be coming out of left field. So the Gemara is going to explain why we're mentioning this now, this case now. Uh, but it is, it is a new case with regards to the topic of pesha or who a pesha hitter. Why is he believed if he's the source for our information? He's the only source for our information. And he says that this was your father's field, and I bought from him. So then we believe him in full. Well, what's the reason behind this? Is uh, a discussion that we'll have probably in the next class. Uh, but it's an important question to ask: Why is this viewed as uh, sufficient uh, uh, as a, a sufficient evidence? Uh, just because it's coming from his own statement. Uh, so that's something that we're going to get into. that Gemara is going to get into um, in the next in the next class. Okay. Let's begin the Gemara. Again, we're on Tezayan and Aleph, the first page of the second chapter, 16A1 in the Scroll Gemara. Okay. So the Gemara says as follows. Going back to the first case of the Mishnah. We had two cases in the Mishnah. Going back to the first case of the Mishnah. first case of the Mishnah is, he says, she says, he says that when they got married, she was was a widow. She was married before. She says, "No, this is my first marriage." The Mishnah says that we believe him unless there's proof. If there's proof that uh, if we have testimony that this was a marriage with all the, um, the 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 features of a marriage for it being her first marriage, so then we believe the witnesses. If there we don't have such witnesses, we believe him. So the Gemara says, "Ah, oh, if we believe him, this seems to be." to be that the Mishnah is against Rob and Because Rabban Leo for the last few Mishnahs in the end of the first chapter, the end of the first parak, says that uh, we don't believe him. We believe her. We believe her her testimony. Meaning, the assumption is, is that part of why Rabban said that we believe her is because we assume that she was a Basula, a virgin until the latest point in time. Well, that's not the assumption that the Mishnah is taking now. The Mishnah is saying that we believe him. And we don't go based on the fact that uh, she was a virgin until the last point in time. Sigmar says, No! Gemara answers that no. Rabban fits with our Mishnah. Why? When did Rabban say that we believe her? Together with her Chazaka, her status quo that she was a virgin, that's only in a situation where she says something with certainty i.e. that she's a virgin and he is questioning it he doesn't know but in this case they are both bury they are both know with certainty this is a case where they both know with certainty it's a question as to it's not a question as to some something changed and something we don't know about it's we're just working backwards what happened 30 40 years ago when they got married what was the situation and that is a situation where they both know whether or not she was a virgin. Uh, so in a case where they both know, they both are saying it as a bari, a, as a, with certainty, so then in that case, Rabbi Gamaliel will agree that we believe him and not her. So asks, the asks, Udikari-la, kari-la, bari who The Gemara says, well, what was our initial thought process? What were we thinking originally to say that uh Rabbi Gamaliel would disagree with the Mishnah? Obviously the Mishnah is different. The Mishnah is very different than the the first parix uh, mishnayos. The first of mishnayos were all cases where he's saying it as as uh, with uncertainty, with uh, just a suggestion. Here he's saying it as a bari with certainty. So the Gemara answers no. No, and the Gemara is going to get back to this line in the next class, not right now. But because in this case, uh, most women that get married are virgins. Most women that get married are virgins. So maybe it's equivalent to a case of bari vishama where he's saying it maybe. It's just as good. We can make some sort of equation, and say it's just as good as when he says something with an un, with as, as an uncertainty, and she's saying it with certainty. So the fact that most women uh, get married, who get married are virgins. Um, so then maybe that should be a reason for us to to say that you know what she was also a virgin. That's why the Gemara has to come and tell us, and therefore we should believe her. That's why the Gemara has to come along and tell us that no, it's not sufficient. It's still not sufficient, and we believe him. So at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we believe him, um, even though maybe there's a there's a majority uh, of women who get married are virgins. No, we still believe him, and we assume that um, because we just leave the, the reason why we believe him is because we leave the money where it is unless we have sufficient evidence otherwise. So therefore, he wouldn't have to pay two hundred; he would still have to pay one hundred because he's still he's not he's not denying the marriage. He's denying the fact that she was a virgin at the time of the marriage. She's still a widow. A widow still receives one hundred. Okay. The Gemara now continues and says that it makes sense to say this is Rabbi Gamaliel. Why? The first part of the Mishnah is saying Rabbi Gamaliel agrees in this situation even though in general he holds that the, that the wife is believed because she's bari she knows with certainty and he doesn't. In this case we'll believe the husband because the husband is also knows says it with certainty and we will say leave the money where it is. Why does it make sense to say that this is Rabbi Gamaliel? Because the end of the Mishnah the second case of the Mishnah is the opposite. It's saying that and Rabbi Yeshua agrees in this case, meaning the first half is saying, Rabbi Gamaliel agrees in the following case. The second half of the mission is saying, and Rabbi Yeshua, who generally says that, uh, we, uh, we leave the money where it is, he agrees in the following case where he says, we could, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take the money out. We'll, we'll believe the person who's making the statement to the Pesha Asa. So it makes sense. First half of the statement to the mission is Rabbi Gamaliel saying, uh, I agree in the following case. The second half is where Rabbi Yeshua is saying, I agree in the following case. The fact that the Mishnah says, Rabbi Shua agrees, The Gemara says, It makes sense that if Rabbi Gamliel in the first half of the Mishnah is agreeing, so then Rabbi Shua is responding back to Rabbi Shua and say, And I agree with you! In the second half of the Mishnah, in the second case of the Mishnah, the Gemara says, No! Rabbi Shul, the Gemara says that no, they reject this, and they say, "No, it's not full proof. It's not a full proof. It could be correct, but it's not a full proof." Rabbi Gamliel doesn't have to be the author of the first part of the Mishnah. Rabbi sure when he says he agrees, he means in the, he agrees in the concept of a migu, even though he disagrees with the concept of migu. Migu mean, is, is a concept that says that uh, when a person has a claim, and they could have made a better claim, and they didn't make that better claim, so it's proof that they are being honest. It's proof, let's say it's proof that they're being honest. There's different ways of phrasing it, but it's proof that they're being honest. So they make claim X. They could have made claim Y, um, and they didn't make claim Y, so maybe that's pr- that's proof that they should be believed. Even without any any witnesses or any testimony or any evidence, we, they should be believed to say statement X because they had a better claim. Uh, so Rabbi Hsu in general says in the first chapter says, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough evidence to extract money from one person to another. However, and that has to do with the first chapter. But what does Rabbi Shuh agree with? If it's the type of migu where he could have just kept quiet. right? In this case, in the case of the Mishnah, he says, you should know this: the field that I'm on belongs to your father and I bought it from him. If he just kept quiet, he would have kept the field. Nobody would have said anything. Let him just keep quiet. He could have just said the whole time, this is my field. Forget about the whole history of the field. This is my field, and he would have been believed. So that is a better migu. Why is that a better migu? That's for tomorrow. Well, we'll see. We'll see what that is uh, tomorrow. But right now, uh, we're comparing two different types of migus—a migu where he could have made a better claim to our case in the mission, where it's not just he could have made a better claim; he could have kept quiet and not say anything. Just this is my field. He doesn't have to say anything. So that's where Rabbi Yeshua he's coming to say, "I agree." In this type of migu, where I could have just kept quiet, that you're believed. In contrast to not the first half of our Mishnah, but to previous Mishnaya. So the Gemara now wants to get into, well, which Mishnah in the first chapter actually dealt with Amigu? Which Mishnah in the first chapter actually dealt with Amigu? So we're now going to go do this a little faster uh, because it's going to go through all the different Mishnahs from the first chapter to try to figure out which case actually had Amigu. Um, and so it's really a bit of a review of... The 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 Mishnah is in the end of the first chapter, the first parak. Elema so ahi, which which Mishnah discusses migu? <speaking in Hebrew> if it's a case where she's pregnant, she doesn't have a migu. She's pregnant, and she says, uh, she says it was from from somebody who I was allowed to be with. She was single, and she became pregnant. So she doesn't have a migu. She doesn't have a migu to say she could have made a better claim to say I never had sexual relations because she's pregnant. We all know that she had sexual relations with somebody. So elaha, maybe it's for the first part of that mishnah. In the case where it says midaberis that she was talking, so there's a discussion. Was she, was she secluded with somebody, or do we know for sure that she had sexual relations with somebody? If we know for sure that she had sexual relations with somebody, again, there's no migu because we know with certainty that she had sexual relations with somebody. So then, there's no migu in that case. velaha maybe it's on the following mishnah. The following case, she makes the claim that she was in mukas eight, that she the the hymen uh, was broken because of of an injury that uh, something uh, pressed against it, and then he says, "Then no, it's because you had sexual relations." So, where's the migu there? Is there a migu there? Turning the page to 1683. So in that case, there was a question of how much was she really claiming to, to, to receive. When she says that she's a mukas 8, that there was some an injury that happened before they got married, was she asking for 200 or for 100? So without getting into the specific details, if she was asking for 200, so she doesn't really have a migu. Uh, because that's the best that she could get. That's the best claim she can make, because she's asking for 200. So, Ella, aha. Now the following case. Maybe there's a migu in the following case. Ha-Nosah Yase'in Sheh V'lo Matz'la B'Sulam. Hi-Omeras Mish'a Rastani N'Anas'in V'netach V'Sadeil, V'Homer L'Oki'a L'A'ad Shaloi Rastich. Rabbi Gamliel V'Rablazer Omer M'Nemenes, Rabbi Sh'Omer L'Omer L'Omipi'a Anuchayin, L'Omipi'a Anuchayin, D'Migu D'Yibayi Amr Mugaz'a Ishani Tachdeich. Maybe it's the following case, and this is how we conclude. This is the case. Uh, It's basically he doesn't find uh, the the dam He doesn't find any blood when they have sexual relations for the first time. She says that she was raped when they were engaged. He says that no, Um, it happened before the engagement. So maybe there's a migu. Why her making the claim that she was raped? Uh, before, while they were engaged, is not the best claim that she can make. It's not the best claim she, she can make. Because when she says that she's raped, she's basically admitting to the fact that she's not, not allowed to marry a cohen. She had a better claim that she can make, which is that uh, it, there was just something from the outside uh broke the, broke the hymen. And it wasn't through sexual relations. That's the better claim that she can make. The fact that she made the claim that uh, she was raped, that already automatically... Um, disqualifies her from marrying a Kohen. so there was a better claim that she could make. So that's the Migu of the first chapter. That's the conclusion. That's the Migu of the first chapter. To that, the uh, Rabbi Le'O, Migu Migu That's where Rabbi Shua says, I disagree with you with regards to that Migu, with the claim that you could have made a better claim that you would have made to say Sait, that if there was a, uh, it was due to to an injury. No, nope, but our migu Mishnah, of our Mishnah—that's when I agree with you. It's not that I agree with you with regards to the first half of the of the Mishnah. It's uh, in sorry in contrast to the half of the Mishnah. I agree with you in contrast to one of the Mishnayas from the first chapter. Okay, uh, we will continue with the Gemara. The Gemara will then ask, "Well, what's the difference between these two different types of migu?" So it's an important question, and we'll get to that in the next recording.